Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 235 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And today is our deep dive episode, and we're going to deep dive into some software, some open source software, and a new, sort of new uh, model for distributing binary software packages. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But for right now, I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, so the whole gang is here again. Yay. Ew. Is it snowing in Montana anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. As you were saying, wasn't there like snow and then like ninety degrees the next day or something? Yep. Yeah. Oh, sorry. As Bill decides to open his garage, the garage door, door. Yeah. solid on one side. Jeez. <laughs> last week it's the dogs. Well, actually, yeah. No. Well, last Thursday was. Oh no. Wait. What day is it? It's Monday. Right. It's Monday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Last my daughter was the dogs. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> What were we talking about? <laughs> uh, Odd noise. Snow, yeah, talking, there's no snow. Yeah, we're talking about snow, your coke habit. So, yes, 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 yes. No more snow this week. Okay. <laughs> not, not, not until you see your guy. Yes, my guy's out of town <laughs> until probably September. All right. <laughs> and then we'll see a, 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 a abrupt arrival. Now, you could still get snow up in the mountains. There's a, a you know, any time of year you can get more snow. Generally, it'll be uh, more uh, more sleetish. Great. All righty then. Sounds like Maine. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Well, you know, anytime you hit stuff over ten thousand feet, you're gonna you're gonna get some uh, solid precip. Right. Except Maine doesn't have any nice ski hills you can ski down when you get that snow. New Hampshire does though. Well, actually, Maine does have some, but they they never get snow in the summer. So sure about that. There was a chance that July Fourth morning. Uh, not not in southern Maine, which is where the mountains <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah, I know. So, all right. So, <laughs> what we're going to dive deeply into tonight is um, not too deeply. Well, deeper than we would normally go on a topic. Uh, a couple of different, actually three different in this case, different ways to package binary applications or applications in binary format for distribution across Linux platforms. And the thing that's interesting about these is they are Linux distribution agnostic, or at least that's the idea. And they may even, in some cases, be uh, Unix variant agnostic. So you could use some for BSD and so on and so forth, because they are properly self-contained. So uh, since Bill likes to build things, he's going to be the lead on this discussion. And the things we're going to talk about are snaps, which we've mentioned before. That's an Ubuntuism for distributing software packages. And there's also a couple of uh, newer ones, I think, uh, AppImage and Flatpak. And uh, we're going to kind of touch on all of these. 
and describe how they're the same and how they're different and what they do uh, and what you can use them for. So without further ado, Bill, dive right in. Yeah, so uh, snaps, flat packs, and app image is basically what we're talking about. And uh, the more I was looking at these, uh, the more they're all very similar to each other, <laughs> just like uh, you said. Um, uh, you know, I really started getting interested in them because I started messing around with them in Ubuntu, specifically snaps. But I have done app images before where you download a single file and mark it executable and then boom, you're off to the races. But uh, I was noticing on with the snaps, at least uh, when I went in and looked at my mount for my system, I saw all these loopback mounts on all these applications that I happened to install via snap. And I didn't really think about it <laughs> until I saw the mount points like, oh, yeah, they're all like little miniature squash file systems. So that's basically basically how they encapsulate these binary applications as inside of a uh, compressed file system of some sort. Like uh, Snaps, Snaps uses a Squash FS file system. It contains your app code, a, uh, a description file that tells about the the Snap, uh, a YAML file, and it has all the, everything it needs in order to run. So it bundles like the libraries, the runtimes, any of the shared resources, and it can be set up to access uh, the local file system. Um, not just through the application, but let's say you have settings on your on your local system and stuff like that. They have some extra installation flags. Sometimes you'll see this forced. Uh, I believe um, I believe when I first installed Slack, it required me to enable what I think is uh, the flag for legacy options. And let me just look at that real quick here. And while you're doing that, let me touch on a couple of the things you mentioned. The first was SquashFS which is yes. a file system. It's a read-only file system. It's used for booting. In fact, if you get pretty much any modern Linux distribution right now on a, a DVD, like as an ISO image, it will pretty much be using SquashFS. Uh, the idea is it takes the entire file system, including like the blocks, uh, the inodes, and the files themselves, and squashes them down into a nice compressed format. And... Um, it's read only, so the idea is they they're used uh, for booting or immutable data. And then if you need read only access, uh, you'd use AUFS or uh, or something else in conjunction with it. Uh, the other thing you mentioned was YAML, which is yet another markup language. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, any any acronym you see that starts with YA means yet another. So. Um, and YAML is just another thing like XML or HTML or JSON or anything like that. It's just a choice in configuration stylistics. Um, and YAML is supposed to be one of the simpler ones. So anyway, you were saying. Right. So the, the nice part about it is, again, they're all these are all confined. Almost every single one. Yeah. All these three have uh, have a level of confinement to the application that confines it away from everything else in the system. And it doesn't affect the system. And the reason why Snaps was built was primarily as a solution to installing phone, uh, installing applications on uh, the Ubuntu phone uh, distribution. So they needed a way to encapsulate applications, much like you get from, uh, you know, the apps, the, what are the app store on the iPhone and then, uh, you know, the Play Store on Google phones, you know, an ability to package an application and allow it to run on a device very much like on a phone <laughs> where it is jailed, you know, that's why you have jailbreaking on phones and stuff like that. The application is actually shelled in 
So it, it won't affect anything else. And it's only able to use the devices and the resources it needs from the actual connection, uh, connected computer. So that's what kind of makes these all kind of interesting. And that's sort of where they all come from, or at least the snap comes from specifically the Ubuntu phone project uh, as a way to distribute uh, applications. So that, that was pretty interesting for me to kind of find that out when I was looking at it. It's like, where, where, where was the need for all this? And, and that's basically where it was. But what I was talking about earlier, the, uh, the, the being able to, um, disable some of the, cons- the security confinement, which is what we just talked about. They have some options you can do what's, uh, uh, an install command option. So when you do a snap install to actually install a snap, um, you can actually turn off some of the security confinement. I had to do this in some of the, initial applications I started messing with just to see what it was like. And that option is uh, dash dash classic. Um, but it, they also have all kinds of other options here. When you're installing software, you can install software from the normal channel, which is the default, the stable channel. You can do, uh, you can get a candidate, you can get a beta, you can get an edge channel. So you can actually set your application channel. So if you wanted to install, you know, uh, let's say, I don't know. <laughs> Name an application, any application. Slack. We'll just use Slack again. If you wanted it from like the Edge channel, if they actually had an Edge channel uh, published out there, you could you could pull the Edge so you can actually test those features and stuff like that. If you wanted to test those features, um, so that's kind of a, a neat ability with inside the application. I believe, if I'm not wrong, which I probably am, uh, some of the applications inside of uh, inside of the software center now are kind of shared across that where they expose some snap apps in the uh, software center. Do you know that to be true? I believe that is in fact the case. Cause I re- think I remember you talking about installing a snap from the software center at one point, And I don't remember what the application was, but I, I think you said that those words. Yeah. I think, I think that might be true, but I don't, don't take that for, you know, <laughs> gospel or anything else like that. Um, so yeah, so you can find snaps and if you're if you're looking for snaps, you can find them at the Snapcraft uh store. So they actually have a store on their website. It's not where you buy, it's just where you uh, can find all the snaps that are out there. And we of course are interested in things of the ham radio nature. So well, I was looking for any ham radio applications I could find in there and the one that I found was QRQ. <laughs> So if you wanted to test install a ham radio application with a snap and wanted to see what that's like, you can use QRQ, <laughs> which is a console app. Um, and uh, you, you, you can test out and see how it works on your system. So if you do not have an Ubuntu system like uh, the LHS version one or, you know, a mint or one of the many other Ubuntu derivatives, you would have to, of course, install snaps so you can enable the snaps in your environment. Some of the other systems are all uh all set up to to you know to use snaps because it's becoming one of the yeah one of the distribution channels for uh, for software and it's easy to get stuff on there. I know like Solus has the ability to run snaps and uh, you know uh, I think uh, Fedora and a bunch of other systems have all the ability to run snaps. So that that allows you to to kind of just mix the whole ecosystem and be able to run something that maybe was originally developed on you know Ubuntu or something like that or Debian only. And uh, now it'll run since it's fully confined inside of this, you know, loopback package and it has everything it needs to run. It would be there. You could run it on any system, just like we said earlier. So if you're looking for snaps, 
You can actually do it one or two ways. You can look at the Snapcraft store. You can actually, I believe, search for packages in the command line by using snap search. And I'm just going to do QRQ. One uh, consistent theme across these different platforms is that they all have the equivalent of an app store where people who have built snaps or flat packs or app images put them so you can download them. So they're very similar to that kind of thing. Um, these, The idea behind these, though, in general, is that they all contain self-contained statically linked information. So it doesn't require any information or any libraries on your system to actually run and they and they run either jailed or sandboxed or something like that so um you know the platform becomes agnostic and as long as it's a posix type system they should work properly yeah yeah so so yeah so you can run uh, snap dots or snap space search and then add a package name in there or a, you know partial name just like you're doing like an apt search <laughs> So that works fine. Uh, Don in the chat room is asking, how does device access work in a snap? So pretty much all the devices uh, are exposed at, on that POSIX layer. And as well, um, I can give you the exact definition here. <laughs> my, my guess would that would there would be pipes into the sandbox of a snap or they would there would be uh, symbolic linking to, to. Right. You have you have a daemon that runs a snap. Damon actually is running in the background that manages the access to all these uh to all the snaps. So I believe if I look literally quick. these are these are similar. He mentioned Docker in the chat room, and these these things are kind of the same in the sense that they run standalone. They're kind of like their own little environments. So in order to get data into and out of them, you have to have some sort of transport layer, and those are usually either managed by a daemon or symbolic links or some sort of piping into and out of. It's, it's sort of like running a machine inside a machine, um, and, and you have to be able to pass that data back and forth. So they all have some mechanism for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Why the long pause? You're trying yeah, to evaluate was, uh, if I'm uh, saying is bullshit or not, or what? I mean. Oh, absolutely oh, okay. not. No, I was actually I was actually looking for a more uh, a more specific answer from uh, from the how the containment works and and how it touches the OS and which parts are actually exposed. So I don't have that specific information, so I can't really answer that fully, Don. But we'll leave it like that, and I'll keep I'll keep researching as we go along. Like I said, this is a uh, this is not a, a full deep dive into each one because we just wanted to kind of cover all of them and see what's available out there for ham radio, and uh, also just kind of expose if you haven't heard about these uh, distribution channels for software. It's kind of a cool way to find stuff that's not available for your particular uh, operating system if you're not using something that has a, a full repo. I started looking at these when I had Solus because, you know, the, the repo for Solus was really small and there wasn't a lot of the applications I, I was looking for at the time. So they had some third, third party repos and stuff like that. And uh, these added the, the capability of running software that wasn't readily available uh, in in the channels that that at least Solus had at the time, or you know, pick your boat, you know, boutique, you know, operating system that has a very limited uh, control over the uh, uh, application repository. So this could open up a, a bunch of things for you, as long as they actually have, <clears throat> you know, the the Snap daemon or the whatever uh, whatever resources actually needed for, you know, snaps, flat packs, and uh, app image. 
I think for the most part, app image just runs on almost everything because it doesn't really need anything installed. Um, so let's, let's talk, let's move on to the next one here and, uh, we'll get away from the Ubuntu, uh, snaps. So Flatpak is, is another one that's very similar to, uh, to these, or they're all the same. Flatpak is built on a, a different technology. It's called OS tree, which was uh, influenced and, uh, very similar to Git. Uh, if you're familiar with Git, we talk about it all the time, GitHub. Uh, it allows version data to be tracked and distributed between different repositories. However, uh, where Git is designed to track source files, OS tree is designed to track binary files and other large data. Internally, Flatpak, Flatpak works in a similar way to Git, but uh, Flatpak uses repositories to store data and attracts different versions, different or differences between the versions. With Flatpak, each application runtime and extension is a branch and a repo. And this kind of is like, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of how uh, how Docker containers work, where you can say, okay, I want this doc, this, this image, this application image. Like, let's say you wanted a Ubuntu pro, you know, Ubuntu with uh, MySQL on it or something like that. So they have a Docker image with that. And then you make a change to that, that image and it creates a new version of that image, not only in your system, but if you publish it back as like, you know, this is Ubuntu MySQL with this specific plugin added to MySQL or something like that, you create a new version and it's a new container but it's still built upon each successive version. So um, so the repo itself just basically stores the changes like Git does and uh, rebuilds can rebuild a flat pack or in this case, an application um, that's called a flat pack uh, inside of it. And those you can find on the flat hub site. They actually have their own little store as well. <clears throat> and I was looking for some ham radio applications in there and uh, I didn't find any, <laughs> but I did find an interesting project related to this one. Uh, it was kind of mentioned on OMG Ubuntu uh, not too long ago, and uh, they have uh, what's called Wine Pack. And uh, what what kind of sparked off a, a kind of controversy about Wine Pack? So, what Wine Pack is basically a flat pack that has a application that happens to be wrapped with the wine. Um, you know, configuration, which I think is a great idea for packaging wine. So this would be like building your, uh, what's that, what's that crossover Linux thing where it builds the bottles. So this would be very similar where it actually kind of builds a flat pack with a wine image, a working wine image that is pre-configured to run a specific application. And in this case, uh, the ones that they had listed was like Fortnite, <laughs> which of course everybody wants Fortnite on Linux. <clears throat> But apparently, it's it's just in testing. They're they're really not to the point of uh, actually uh, actually working. I haven't tested anything that they have out there that they say works. But it's a it's kind of an interesting uh, kind of uh, a split from uh, well, not split. I guess an augmentation of using flat packs and wine all together to basically grab a Windows application, prepackage it up, and ship it out. I'm not sure how you would do that with a commercial app. In, in mentioning this, though, you are pointing out one of the drawbacks of this kind of solution. It's not necessarily a drawback per se, but it's a potential con uh, to this kind of distribution of binary applications. And that is you have to have the entire system layer and library layer included in the package. So you don't just get the little piece of software that does the thing and you link it to the stuff that's actually already on your system. You have to have this giant atomic 
uh, sandbox of information that actually does all of the things necessary to run that application. In a way, it's kind of like the Java JRE. You have this little bit of code that does something, but you have to have the entire environment <laughs> in order to to run this particular application. So it can be sort of storage um, intensive to do that. Um, whereas if you just actually built the application using uh, linked libraries, it, it wouldn't be so large. But another plus that's mentioned uh, by Don or sort of referenced by Don in the chat room is that you can have uh, different versions encapsulated on your system and you can run them each individually and separately and not be worried about conflicting libraries and things like that. So you could run 2.4 of something and 2.7 of something on the same system uh, and they wouldn't interfere with each other. Right. And, you know, a good, great example of this is, uh, when we ran into that problem with WSJTX getting the devs to install in the latest version of the, uh, of the operating system of Ubuntu because they didn't have, uh, libreadline five anymore. They went to libreadline six. So if this were actually distributed in a flat pack or a snap or something like that, those, uh, dependencies would already be in there and would be shipped along with it. And it'd be fully encapsulated. So you could have a system that is based on, you know, libreadline six and then have an application that needs that can only run on libreadline five. And it's there, you know, it's already, it has everything it needs. So if you have some obscure, so this would be good to also resurrect old packages. Like if you really like this old application that nobody, you know, continued to develop and, you know, trying to rebuild it with current libraries or something like that would be, you know, treacherous let's say you have like a python 1.0 <laughs> application that you still want to use <laughs> maybe i need to flat pack the original etherpad so i don't have to worry about that anymore yeah there you go there could be something that way you could just move it onto anything and you don't have to worry about the environment so so yeah it opens up a whole kind of world of possibilities as well as you know almost a dumping ground of stuff that you could have on your system and you could end up with, you know, very large packages. But I think right now with the cost of, you know, storage resources, storage is pretty much the cheapest thing you can buy on a computer. Storage and RAM, generally speaking, yeah. I mean, a lot of systems are built yeah. so that you can actually run them in RAM, in system RAM, and not even touch the disk. So. <laughs> exactly. So I think a flat pack is kind of newer to the whole ecosystem. So it is actually like the, the new kit on the block. Uh, it's still been around for a while. Um and it, it it's you know it's it's kind of it's interesting it's it's kind of an interesting concept and I, and I'm still kind of playing with it and learning more about it and, and stuff like that and the wine pack thing it really makes it kind of uh, kind of interesting you know at some point to see uh easier ways of getting um windows stuff I'm not saying I want a whole bunch of windows stuff I can think of one application I want SQL Server Management Studio. <laughs> Someone wine packs that. <laughs> I'll be happy. That's a free download for Microsoft, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> um, you could be that so, person, Bill. Yeah, I know. I know. I, know, I, could do it. I, I have to be able to actually get it to run under wine first, and that's been the, the hard part. I see. So, yeah. so, yeah, it's one of those ones that are kind of icky. And I, yeah trying different versions of wine too. And cause you know, wine's been releasing versions like, like gangbusters lately. I think they're over the 3.0 mark now. Well, they're going to buy so, somebody, right? So there'll be an MS Linux soon enough. And then, uh, yeah, SQL yeah, studio exactly. will, will run on MS Linux just fine. And you'll be all set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we were talking the other day in the chat room, I thought, you know, Oh, they're going to move everything over to the SQL ops and uh, visual studio uh, code and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about let's talk about the other one, which is App Image. And I think 
I think app image has been around for quite a while. Uh, far as I can remember, cause I've run into these for quite, for quite some time. And app image reminds me very much of the way Mac OS distributes applications where basically you get one file, you mark it as executable and you run it. <laughs> it's kind of slick, <laughs> but it works in a very similar, similar way. It basically self mounts the file. It's, you know, itself is a file system image and then it runs as a uh, contained application. So it doesn't, uh, it doesn't need anything else to actually run everything as self-contained as well. And in this case, I found uh, gpredict was the only ham radio application I found in there. So if you wanted to play with an app image, if you've never run across one and you want to do it with a ham radio application, gpredict is actually in the list. And let's see, I don't even know what version they have here. Let me look real quick. 2.2.1. So yeah, so and that's distributed directly from them. So that's nice. Uh, you know, it would be kind of cool to see more and more of this in the ham radio community where they're packaged like this. You know, it might even be simpler than trying to say, oh, well, you got I had to build a deb for the deb system, RPM for the you know this system, and uh you know, an e-build or you know, what have you, uh <laughs> five thousand different package manager solutions. And, you know, some people don't like these either because it does create loopbacks in the, uh, in the file system. But we, I don't think we have the same problems we have anymore with some of the earlier, uh, earlier kernels and doing uh, multiple loopbacks. Cause I remember you could only loop back like, what was it, like 16 or something stupid like that? You only have 16, uh, different loopback IOs running at the same time. Yeah, I don't think there's any kind of constraint like that anymore. And I, w- yeah. I thought about asking you a question you probably can't answer because you're only looking at these at a sort of semi-deep level. But have you investigated the tools or the utilities that are involved with all of these as far as actually building the images, snaps, or flat packs that go with them? I haven't investigated fully. I've looked at the documentation to the fact that there's there's tools and and. and all of the projects seem to be very well documented on how to actually build them. So I don't think it would be terribly complicated. Um, and I am going to kind of explore that and see exactly. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know which direction I go. I really have to kind of pick something because I, I kind of started on this with Docker. And that's that's kind of one of the alternates <laughs> to this whole thing is uh, I know. I don't know if you all remember when I was running Solus as my daily driver. I had installed uh, Skype 4.3 when they did the first version change, and I couldn't get Skype 4.3 on uh, that box anymore. And so I tried, I tried it with Docker, and I was able to run Docker, uh, a, a you know, win, a windowing application from Docker on my local <laughs> local system in order for me to get Skype working, so I could uh, I could Skype my parents and stuff like that. And I think at the time we were still recording on Skype. So, and, and it did work. It worked okay. The, the, the videoing was a little off or whatever, you know, and, you know, the transport across the video was a little too much, uh, hiccupy, but, but the audio was pretty good. So it didn't have any problems at all with transporting audio. But, uh, yeah. So, and I, I started looking at, you know, oh, well, you know, they got, they got this web app or this uh, application working in it. Well, how hard would it be to get like CQR log working in it? And I think I kind of toyed around with that. And I, uh, I almost got that together and then I just lost interest in the project. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, uh, the snaps and the app images and flat packs, you know, 
I think since we run everything uh, specifically for LHS, you know, we have the the Ubuntu builds and stuff like that. I think I'd probably build something using the Snap, uh, using Snapcraft and and the tools for that. So I'll probably mess around with that and see if I can push something out uh, that actually works. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> working would be, would be great. Yeah, which would be pretty cool, and obviously add to the uh, you know the ham radio application population that's out there, which is not really out there. <laughs> I'd probably find something that's not in the repo. That would be more interesting, I think. Something that's not already a deb that has to be compiled from source. So, so yeah, that, do... would be, that would be kind of cool. And there are definitely a few applications out there that are uh, really nice that are not packaged as debs or RPMs or anything like that. So uh, to have one of those as like an app image would be really neat because it would, it would then be sort of platform agnostic and lots more people could use it. Yeah. yeah. And I bet so, the developer uh, would give you all kinds of kudos. Yeah, so if uh, if you all have an idea of what I should uh, try, <laughs> please send feedback. Uh, if I haven't already found something by the time we get your uh, your message, we'll uh, still take it into account to uh, look at uh, possibly doing that. Now the thing about uh, uh, let me go back to the thing about Skype and Docker just for a second. When you yeah. were when you were accessing the application, the Skype application was it. Was it native in such a way that it was actually launched in your like X root window, or did you have to like VNC into the Docker to use it? No, it, it launched up. Okay, all right. I was just curious about that. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, I, I'm I'm sure I I kind of looked at some of the trickery involved in doing that, but uh, yeah, the the things that that wouldn't transport are like, which is very similar to Snaps, I believe, is that some of the UI elements don't transport in. So like it doesn't under you know it doesn't learn your your entire GTK setup or you know your QT setup and stuff like that. Now some of these might be a little bit more different where they they do learn that, but I I think that's been like the complaint that I've heard from a lot of these is that you know they uh, they have like a style that they pick up, and if it's not like a very specific <clears throat> setup or you have like a customized setup, the windowing might be a little slightly different, like the window draws the actual borders and stuff like that. I think some of that stuff is uh, is going to be slightly off. And uh, I think there might be something to do with scaling too. If you have like some extreme scaling that the uh, the applications tend to look weird. Oh, all right. Well, you and your high DPI crap. I mean, that's... <laughs> well, see, you know, I don't run high DPI on, uh, on my box here. So uh, on this one, on my other one, I do, but it's not running Linux because... Yeah, high DBI still doesn't work. And I love it. I just heard an announcement just the other day of uh, two different operating systems. Oh, I mentioned one last last time, Cinnamon or something like that. So, like, yeah, we got this high DPI, this awesome high DPI support. And I'm like, eh, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe on, like, a really big screen in high DPI. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. But, like, a 13-inch high DPI screen? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. I mean, you can sort of make it work, but it looks it looks goofy. Well, isn't the entirety of the ecosystem of high DPI support at this point simply just scaling? <laughs> I mean, it's not really. Yeah, it's native. all scaling at some point. Um, but I think there's, I think there's more to it. Otherwise, it would just work and it would look right. I think, I think there's certain levels of scaling that don't make sense. Like, you know, I don't know when you start getting like odd scaling or something like that, like seventy five, one seventy five percent, or you know, some some odd odd number that you know you can't divide two pixels into like half a pixel or something like that or <laughs> you know right, right yeah once you start getting into that and you know depending on your dpi i think that's what kind of kind of messes things up and then things don't render right 
and maybe there isn't that level of like correction, you know, should you say, okay, well, I'm only down to like, you know, three pixels and I still have to draw something that would normally require five pixels. You know, how do I draw this? Yeah. I think, I think, I think there's some low level stuff there that sort of is still falling apart that I think, the, right. I think the other system is fake. <laughs> you just don't know that they fake it. That's why it sort of still looks okay, but that's a little sort of off the topic. And right. uh, so, yeah, so, so what, what, let's just kind of wrap this up uh, with a bow here. Um, I know we didn't do a really deep dive on it. And there's probably still a lot of questions you have, especially with developing using these things, but there, there, there are different ways to get software that are not necessarily apt install and that's kind of what I wanted to touch base on. I mean, you can still find stuff out there that's out of the repository that you do not have to compile. That is still somewhat easy to install. Snaps, if you're on Ubuntu, you, you already have everything you need. Just do a snap, you know, search and go for it. Heck, you might have to install some stuff. I know I just installed some stuff to uh, try messing around with it. And app images, you don't have to install anything. You should just be able to download an app image, mark it as executable using, you know, chmod and you're off to the races. So give it a try and give us some feedback on what you see out there. And maybe we'll go deeper into one of these, maybe snaps pretty soon here with an application on actually building an application inside of it and then distributing it. All right. Very cool. I'm going to look into this further too, because I want to see how easy or difficult it is to actually work into the world of using a snap or an app image or a flat pack. Because if it's not too terribly difficult. It would be nice to actually start throwing some uh, ham radio software into these app stores where people could uh, could get them and and use them with easy availability. Yeah, I think there's a like one the one other caveat I think I didn't mention. I believe uh, with uh, with like app images and flat packs, they're not really meant for you know a non desktop environment. These are generally desktop applications so you're not going to install a service using flat pack or or app image and possibly not snap although i think you can technically with snap because that's sort of again it was designed around this phone mentality where you might install stuff that maybe a scheduler or something like that that has to run in the background um where the others were not really designed for that they're really designed to solve the problem of distributing a desktop application so i think that's the one caveat that i saw mentioned in several places uh, in the comparison of that, these that uh, you 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 should be aware of. Not like I would ever install a, <laughs> a background service this way. <clears throat> you know, you want something more native anyway. At that point, um, yeah. So that that that's it for that. Uh, and you had something you added it here. Yes, I added this here too because we're talking about getting binary distributions or places where you can actually get software it doesn't have to be ham radio software just software in general and each of the products or projects that you just mentioned have a store where you can download fully built you know app images or flat packs or whatever uh and we frequently and uh, you more than me talk about uh github for for downloading at least the source code of applications and, and github often has actual binary builds as well uh but i referenced and it will be in the show notes uh, an an article that mentions other places where you can look for open source projects. Uh, and the first one it mentions is uh, something called GitLab because uh, that spawned as an alternative to GitHub, the thing we talk about most of all, because GitHub is owned by 
Microcrack? <laughs> yes, GitHub is owned by Microsoft. So uh, a lot of people have moved their projects off of GitHub. Uh, and now there's GitLab, which is similar. There's also SourceForge, and SourceForge has been around forever and ever and ever. It tends to be a little crappy, and most people don't really put their projects out on SourceForge anymore, but there's still stuff that is out there. In fact, I'm looking at a couple of projects for work um, that are only published or published on uh, SourceForge. Uh, so it's still a viable solution. Um, but there's also some other ones. Um, there's Launchpad. Uh, we've mentioned Launchpad before. Another place to, to download software packages. And I don't know if this uh, Launchpad is specifically open source. Um, Pro, it can be anything, but Launchpad is also where most of your PPAs are. In fact, yeah, right. so all your you know packaged archives right. for Ubuntu are all there. Yep. And there's another one which has my favorite name of all, which is Git Kraken, <laughs> because it's uh, a nice double entendre there. I love that one. I hadn't even heard of it until tonight, but... Uh, apparently, it's one of the newer ones out there, and it's another place to download software. And there are several more listed in this article, like Bitbucket, Beanstalk, Google Cloud, Source, uh, Apache Alert, and so on. So there are lots of places to look for open source projects, or projects of any kind, really, uh, which is just kind of a little addendum I wanted to throw in there, since we're talking about places to get software and different methods of obtaining and running software. Cool. All right. Well, I think that concludes our quasi deep dive does it not yeah it's like sort of like a shallow swim maybe (laughs) (laughs) you know not quite the wading pool but you know i think you know maybe we uh you know got up to our shoulders maybe a little bit right it's it's not quite rescuing eastern asian teams from yeah we did not have to don any special equipment in order to make this deep dive occur that's correct yes (laughs) um so anyway (laughs) along with our uh long format episodes we also include announcements and feedback and we haven't done feedback in quite a while because we were gone for a little while and the episode sort of didn't... had to go to italy yeah keep, keep and blaming france and, <laughs> yeah it's all your fault absolutely we, we blame you at every opportunity in case you haven't noticed uh so we don't have any announcements for this episode um except to say that we are lining up at least a couple of different uh, what sound like very interesting interviews uh, for upcoming long format shows. So look forward to that. Some involve people we have already talked to and some involve people we have not yet talked to, uh, but they look like they're going to be a lot of fun. So we're looking forward to those. Um, we'll give more details as we have them, uh, but we will do some feedback. So since Cheryl has been uh, busily Facebooking, uh, we'll distract her from that. Sorry, still dealing with my issues. <laughs> and uh, at least have you read a couple of these bits of feedback. So, okay. All right, there you go. So, have at it. All right. So, the first big bit of feedback, excuse me, was a comment on episode number 230 from Baz. It says, Russ, really like this episode. The conversations with the Steves was quite enlightening. Do you have a link to the LHS version of Ubuntu you made up? Baz. Um, and like I said... And I believe I've mentioned on previous episodes, there will be torrents of these. Um, I have them all downloaded. I just have not built and seeded the torrents, but they will be built and seeded shortly. But until then, there are links to the actual ISOs. And do you want to publish that information, Bill? Or oh, absolutely. Just want- yeah. I have okay. unlimited bandwidth. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so you can go to media.ne4rd.live. 
and uh, you will see all the ISOs there. And you'll also see the um, the gradient and the black backgrounds that Bill made up for your desktop if you want to have Linux in the ham shack on your desktop. <laughs> yeah, they're not the greatest, but, uh, you know, I have it on mine. So. <laughs> and we showed it at, uh, at the show. We had them on the show yes, as well. Did. So, uh, yeah, enjoy. Yep. So there is where you can download those ISOs and the checksums directly. Uh, there are versions for Lubuntu, Zubuntu, Budgie, Mate, and Gnome. Kubuntu. Oh, and Kubuntu. Sorry, we don't have a Gnome version apparently yet. Yeah, uh, I didn't do a base build either. I didn't do like a base Ubuntu. Build. Like a server build? Well, no, just like the regular Ubuntu. Oh, okay. Oh, with the uh, Unity desktop? With the Unity, yeah. I did yeah, not do okay. one of those. Okay, so there's no Gnome and no Unity, but that doesn't really matter because the Mate version and the Budgie version are both excellent. So Sexy. Very sexy. Yeah, sexy. <laughs> All right, so Cheryl, go ahead, read the next one. All right, the next comment is on episode 230 from Taylor Crisp. It says, as soon as Coder.com is up, I'm going to make a bounty for the library, for a library. I'm also going to post one for an update to the Hacker RF Lib for transceiving. I wish I had the skills to do it myself. All right, and that's a reference to our episode 230 deep dive into uh, Flex Radio. And I looked at Coder.com when this actually came up. That's Coder with a K, by the way. Um, and this looks like kind of, um, I want to say like a, um, uh, what's the thing? Like a crowdsourcing thing. Oh, it's for, like Fiverr. Have you used Fiverr before? I have not used Fiverr before. Okay. Yeah. Fiverr, same thing. Yeah. Just basically uh, put out the project and then people bid for it. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So it's kind of like a like a inverse crowdsourcing for software projects. <laughs> so um, and apparently there, uh, this person uh, Taylor and I didn't see a call sign associated with this post uh, is going to put a bounty out for a Flex Radio client for Linux. So I guess we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. All right, and we also have another one. I put a bounty out for. Put a bounty up for what? Put a bounty out for uh, buying us uh, some Flex radios. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Maybe if we just ask really nice, if we like get down on our hands and knees and like cry a little bit, maybe uh, maybe Steve will send us. I'd, I'd give it back eventually. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, might yeah. be after everyone's dead, but I'd... <laughs> I would just like nice. to like. I haven't even touched a Flex radio. Like I have not even like laid hands on one. Um, you poor I've actually, I've actually used, uh, I've used one, um, in a contest. Yeah. See, I, I've, I've only been within like sight distance of a flex radio. So, but it was an all software one, you know, so it was, didn't have the knobs and stuff like that. And, uh, to be honest, not a fan, but I like the knob versions. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, just, there you go. I just don't want to screw around with the mouse when I'm doing right. a contest. All right. So the last thing I want to do is click a waterfall or do something like that, especially if you're doing a little search of pounds. And yeah, I, I just didn't like it with my workflow when I contest. So I'm, I'm sure everybody's mileage may vary there. You know, <laughs> well, I can guarantee that if a 6400 showed up on my doorstep, I would mention Flex Radio at least once. At least. Yeah, at yeah. least once. Yeah. I just uh, want to make sure I'm, I'm honest about this because we're not about, you know, marketing and we're not about like taking things from people and and uh doing sponsorship and all that kind of thing it's all community sponsored so i don't want to i don't want to make them feel like they're going to get some sort of like amazing promotion out of sending me a radio but they could still do it if they want to 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Hey, let's go do the next one. Yeah, let's do All it. All right. <laughs> so the next one is comment on episode two thirty two from Dave WB four O N A says if I right click on the LH episode number two thirty two MP three download link and select save link as Firefox pops up with the download cannot be saved because an unknown error occurred. If I just click the download link, a player pops up in a new tab and the episode plays. There's still no way to download the MP3 file. I get the same problem if I right-click the LHS episode 232 OG download link. If I open the LHS MP3 RSS feed page and right-click the LHS episode MP3 link, then select save link as, I can save the file to my drive just fine. My Firefox is a plain vanilla mainstream 64-bit version running in Windows 10 Home. I have no add-ons that would interfere with saving an MP3 file to disk, and have no problems like this on any other sites. Suggestions. David, WB4's-ONA. So, no, unfortunately, I don't have any other suggestions because you've already mentioned the one way I was going to tell you to get around the issue that actually works, which is to just use the MP3 feed and download it from there. And the other suggestion I would have would be to not use Windows, um, because that's probably your biggest (laughs) problem. But um, that being said, I actually tried to replicate this problem. I have Windows 10 Home on a machine here. I upgraded Firefox to the latest version, which is like 67, I think, or uh, some some stupidly high number. And uh, I was able to right-click and download the application just fine. Or not the application, but the, the MP3 file. So unfortunately, I cannot replicate that problem here using the same setup uh, as described in this email. So unfortunately, I would say uh, just use the MP3 feed or, you know, at worst case, just look at the MP3 feed and get the uh, URL, um, you know, the base URL format and and just download them all uh, by using WGET or something like that. So, yeah, I'm sure there could be some kind of... uh uh, download manager you can download from you know firefox extensions that you could then just scrape the file and yeah grab the link that way it's probably something something goofy <laughs> I, I would suspect but but i mean the the format of the url is well known so it should be easy uh, in any number of ways to download the mp3 file if you're not using a, a podcatcher of some kind so yeah yeah I, mean, I just tried it with chrome and obviously it works fine but All right, so uh, moving on, we'll uh, do the next one. All right. This next one is a Facebook message from Sam LB. It says, hello, I got a Linux disk from you uh, at the Xenia Hamfest for my old computer, and it's old, too. You gave me a 64-bit disk, and it won't do anything. I asked asked you if that was the right one, and you told me you you would send me a 32-bit if it didn't work. So would you please send me the 32-bit disk? And the answer is yes. And we did send him a 32-bit disk, and he should have it in the next day or so. So yes. hopefully that one will actually work properly. Yes. So, And uh, it's interesting that the typo in there that you read over where he says the Xenix Hamfest is, <laughs> is kind of funny because he says he has a really old computer, and I hope it's not running Xenix. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he probably... Yeah, I, don't, I don't think a 32-bit disk would help you then. Yes. <laughs> Maybe if we had a 286 version, you might be able to do it. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We need the 16-bit version of Linux. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we've got one more, uh, and this is from uh, someone we talked to or who was in the chat room for the last episode. So Yes. And the last one is a Facebook message from Mill 
K-E-5-Q-K-R. So one of my new skills I plan to employ for the Field Day 2018 event was to have the portable station running all Linux in lieu of Windows this year. Just ran through an install of Ubuntu and also the PPAs and first three parts of your videos. Logging, rig control, and the modes are all running now for the IC9100 via just one USB connection. Thanks a bunch, guys, and valuable information just in the nick of time. KE5QKR, the cheap old man at Amateur Logic TV. Can't wait to see more. Next up, the FT991 and a sound card packet mode so I can hit the mailboxes and other services around the area. 73 and thanks. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. So Bill's uh, six-part uh, six series, right? Yes, it's like a six-part plus. <laughs> yeah, six-part plus series of installing Ubuntu has uh, shown itself to be truly effective. You can download that and actually install and make a useful system with Ubuntu and your computer at home. So. Yeah, we're getting a lot of positive feedback from that, so I'm really happy that uh, a lot of people are uh, able to use that. Yeah, it's very good. So make sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, we, we have lots of plans for lots of things. We've all been seriously busy and not been able to put out the content that we wanted to, uh, but we're going to try and get back to all of that pretty soon. So uh, make sure you're connected via social media and to YouTube and then to all the other ways that you can connect with us, and we'll make sure we get the information out to you. Yeah. Yeah, we got like 564 views on the part one of that. So we're getting a lot of, a lot of traction on that very first part one. <laughs> part two is down to 253. We're losing half our viewers. <laughs> well, maybe after part, part one, they already know everything they need to know. So they don't have to do the rest of them. Right. Yeah. We give you the basics. And I, I told a lot of people that, you know, you can just look at the description, you know, the actual notes in the video and it gives you all the command line stuff. And so you can always check it out there. Now that's on our channel. I think there's probably more views too if we compiled them all from my channel because that's where they were originally were published. But yeah, yeah. So, uh, and if you have ideas for more videos, I know a lot of people have been asking me about, uh, getting Pat on there and doing a Pat video. And I just really haven't had time to do it yet. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to try. Obviously, the last time I did a video, we were, st- I was still running 1710. So it, it's been a while. And, uh, yeah, I need to, we, we both need I to have get updated back to it and I want to do another yeah. shop talk and, and all that. So I did upgrade my 1710 box to 1804 without any issue. So that was kind of good fun. I was going to video that, but that, you know, requires rebooting and everything else. So right. <laughs> not very exciting stuff. It's like kind of like watching paint, you know, dry, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, you just got, it's updating. It's updating. It's okay, like watching it's, Cheryl's laptop update. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. It's ready for a reboot. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, well, I'll get back to that as soon as I can. And, uh, yeah, thanks for the positive comments on those. Yeah. Thanks Emil for writing in K five QKR. So, all right. So we're down to the end of the episode. We're down to the end of the feedback, which means we're just plain down oh, to the end. Yep. So, do we mention all our chat room visitors? No, we do have a uh, four chat room visitors that I see are live. We had Paul K five WMA. We have Dave KB zero OWD. We have Don KC nine ZMY, and we have Ted WA zero EIR. All of whom are listening to us and commenting in the chat room as we talk to you. So, thanks guys for uh, tuning in for the live episode. And uh, with that, I think we're just going to go ahead and wrap it up. So you have uh, listened all the way through to the end of Linux in the Hamshacks, <laughs> episode number 235. And we thank you for that. And we'll uh, catch you in a week's time next Monday when we uh, do this all again. So I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. Linux in the Hamshack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.